Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We are, as Sean said, beginning a brand new series today, and honestly, we couldn't think of any more new titles, so we're just going to call this one Brand New, okay? And it's over the next few weeks, and I'm really glad that you're here. You may not know this, but in 1989, our founding pastor, PG, decided to do a bold thing and start a new church. And so this is how he started off. Let's just leave this pick up for a little bit, Jay. This is our founding pastor in 1989 as he began to preach, and many of you have never seen him in a suit and tie. So this is a beautiful moment. I just know this, whenever PG came here, when he came to this area to start this church here in Plano, this was, there were no houses, this was like rabbit shooting country, right? Way ahead of the wave and, and, and thought, you know, we're just gonna do something kind of bold, we're gonna start this church, and, and this is the way he initially would kind of come to church every Sunday. But it didn't take long until he had his trademark look which was the Hawaiian shirts with matching vans, right? And so we've got a picture that's more recent that we'll show you there. And this is the PG that we've come to know. Do we have that next picture, right? Yeah, 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 that's the PG that we've... PG's, he's out of town today and I was talking to him this week. He's up seeing his mom in Missouri. I said, PG, you're gonna love this. I'm actually gonna show a picture of you in a suit. And he was like, are you serious? And so uh, let him know that we actually did that. And uh, the fun thing that I love about PG, I love about this church was this value. We will not hold on to things that hold us back. There was a commission, a great commission that was part of this church from day one. In fact, we were planted out of a great commission movement. It was the value that we wanna share Jesus with as many people as possible. And we won't do anything, we won't let anything hold us back from that. I love that value, and here's the result. As a result, over the last 33 years, thousands of people have, have uh, had their lives changed, have come to know Jesus, are still following Jesus, because so many of you joined in early on and were part of the process. And as we go into this new series, we're gonna talk about brand new things and future things, but we cannot do that without first acknowledging so many of you that made this all a reality to begin with. And so if you started attending this church, LifePoint, which used to be Grace Community Church, if you began attending this church before the year 2000, maybe in 1989 or there in the 90s, would you do me a huge favor and let us honor you? Would you just stand right now if you started attending this church before the year 2000? Yeah. Go ahead and stand, would you? Yeah. I love that. All right. Hang on. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. I know you love this. If you started attending the church before 2010, would you go ahead and stand? And you ever remain standing? No, you were going to stand in church this long today, did you, when you came? If you started attending the church before COVID, would you stand? Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love it. Hey, we just want to say a great big thank you. I want to say thank you to those who are standing and those of you who are seated because of what God's doing. You may be seated. I just wanted to take a minute and recognize those of you who are in the room who've been part of getting us to this place, who embraced the value that PG started from day one, and that is we don't want to hold on to things that hold us back. Now, I've got to be fair to show that picture of PG, when I started out in ministry, 
it was also a suit. In fact, I started out as a worship leader, but you're not going to believe this one. Look at how we did ministry back in the day. And this is me in the front, in the suit and in the tie doing ministry. I know you're laughing with me and not at me, and I appreciate it. But I want you to also notice, because we're going to zoom in, because if you look at me right there in the middle, to the right is our executive pastor of ministries, Isaac Denson. Yeah. Who is also in the suit and tie. Can we just say this? Aren't you glad church changed? Yeah, we can take that. We can take that picture down. Please take that picture down. So aren't you glad church changed? And so aren't you glad, guys, that we know? Can we take that picture down? Thank you. <laughs> guys, aren't you glad that we don't have to wear a suit and tie when we come to church now? Late, yeah, you can clap. That's a... Hey, ladies, aren't you glad you don't have to wear pantyhose and high heels when you come to church? <laughs> hey, at the end of the day, there is nothing wrong with the way church was done 30 or 40 years ago. But what we have learned is those things aren't necessary in order to experience God in church. And some of you may be here for the first time in a long time. You may be at church for the first time. And there may be things about church that you have found resistible. And I just want to make a bold statement right out of the gate and just say, most of the things that people find resistible about the church are things the church should have resisted. You say, well, what are some of the things that the church maybe could have resisted? And what are the things that people find resistible about the church? And I think there are three things right out of the gate we would all agree on is sometimes the church has a reputation of being so focused on rules or maybe overly focused on rules. Sometimes the church can be can include people who are hypocritical or worse, even judgmental. But what's ironic is the founder of the church, Jesus Christ, whenever he came, you know, he was irresistible. You see, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And they found him to be irresistible. And one of the things that we want to talk about today is 2,000 years ago, the founder of Christianity, Jesus, came to earth and he introduced something brand new. You see, it wasn't, Christianity wasn't like Judaism 2.0. And the reason we know that is because the way the Jewish religious leaders responded to Jesus. Think about the way they responded to Jesus. They kept saying, what you're doing is not what we were doing. It's not a, a, a tweak. It's not, a, it's not a, just a, a, a new extension of what we had been doing. What you're doing is completely different. And it was so frustrating to them. They became so angry that they actually helped arrest and execute Jesus. You see, in their mind, Jesus was introducing not an extension of, but a, a departure from what they had been teaching. What Jesus was teaching was extremely disruptive. So here's the question. What was Jesus teaching that was so disruptive? And one of the things he did right out of the gate was he introduced a brand new ethic. And I want us to look at what this included. He, out of the gate, Jesus taught that we will love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then he said, we will love others. He said, as I have loved you, you will love others. It was a new command that he gave. And then he took it a step further in the Sermon on the Mount. You may remember this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, and you will love your enemy. 
He said, even the Pharisees love people who like them, but I'm calling you not to just love people that are like you, who like you. I'm calling you, he said, to love people who aren't like you and who don't like you. It was a brand new ethic that Jesus was introducing to the world. And the closest followers of Jesus, as a result of what Jesus was teaching, they began to love others in a new way. And as they began to love others in a new way, you know what happened to the early church? It got off to a great start. And over the first few hundred years, the only opposition was from people who were in power who were threatened by these who were a little too devoted to Jesus in their mind. But otherwise, everyone found this early church to be irresistible as the love that these people demonstrated for others, for others in need and others in the community was so attractive that the church began to thrive. But what happened? How has the church suddenly become so resistible? What changed? Why doesn't everybody go to church? Why doesn't everybody in America go to church? Why doesn't everybody in Collin County, all 1.1 million, go to church? Suddenly the church has become resistible again. In fact, more and more people are saying church will not be part of their life anymore. And I believe we have created a brand of church that Jesus never intended. In fact, he rejected. And so I wanna introduce to you what I think is at the root of the problem. And I just wanna use this phraseology, and we'll explain it in a minute, but it's just the, the temple model or the temple model approach. You see, you might say, well, wait a minute, I thought you said the church was resistible because of the rules, because of hypocrisy or being judgmental. And the truth is, I think the temple model approach produces people who are focused on rules, who are hypocritical, and who are judgmental. In other words, I think this is the root underneath it all is this thing that we're going to talk about. And you may say, well, what is the temple model, and when did this thing start? Well, it didn't begin with Christianity. It's part of all ancient religions. It's sort of the way our human heart is designed to gravitationally go toward. This We're talking Egyptians, uh, Persians, Assyrians. There would have been the Greeks or the Romans. We see it all over the, the, the world today in different religions. It always comes back to this temple model. And Christianity has not been an exception. We have done the same thing and we've gravitated back to the temple model. Well, what is the temple model? Well, it always includes two components. First, there are sacred places. And then... There are sacred laws, meaning I will go to a sacred place and I will learn about sacred laws and then I'll go back to my life and live the way I want to live. But then eventually I will attend and I will learn and then I will go back to my life and it allows us to compartmentalize which what does that produce? People who are focused on rules, who are hypocritical, who are judgmental because we've embraced this temple approach that says I'll just go once a week, once a month, I'll go back to the sacred place and learn some more about the sacred laws and then I'll go back to life as I know it. I'll keep doing the things I've always done. It doesn't have to intersect. It doesn't have to, I can completely compartmentalize my life. The temple model. And this is what Jesus came to change. The truth is, you might be looking at me and saying, isn't that kind of what we're doing right now? 
We have a church, you come to a sacred place, the guy's holding this book of sacred laws, isn't that kind of what we're doing right? Aren't all churches built on the temple model? Or don't we all have a sacred place with sacred laws? And that's what we're gonna look at in this series, is that the church may have re-embraced something that Jesus rejected and something that Jesus never intended and it's causing the church to become increasingly resistible. Why? And here's why I think it is. Here's, here's the bottom line. When Jesus came to earth, he signaled the end of the temple model. And he introduced something, and say it with me, these last two words, he introduced something brand new. How new? Say it with me brand new. Jesus was so serious about replacing the temple model that he wanted to replace the two things the temple model always includes, sacred places and sacred laws. Now, for the first time, I get to manage holding this mic and opening my Bible. So here we go. So Jesus replaces the sacred place and the sacred laws. You say, well, how did he do that exactly? Well, the first thing he did was he replaced the sacred place with sacred people. Now, this is really important. You know what that means? Jesus came to teach that you are sacred. Jim, you are sacred. Kathy, you are sacred. He came to teach that you are sacred. He, he came to look at you and say, Rick, you are sacred. He came to tell all of us, you are sacred. Here's the reality, that you and I could stand on what we might consider to be the most sacred place on earth. And he said, but never be confused. When you look to your left or to your right, that the person that you see is more sacred to God than any piece of dirt that we could ever stand on and that you are more sacred to him than any building we could ever walk into because he displayed that Jesus died on the cross not because there were sacred buildings or places but because there were sacred buildings or there were sacred people for which he died and for him he came to say once and for all you are made in my image and this isn't about places this is about people. And Jesus came to say, you are why I came. And if Jesus were standing here today, he would look around and he would say, this is a nice place, but you are the church. And when you leave here today, the church will leave here. And wherever we gather, the church will be there. Jesus came to say, I have come for people. And this is a big deal to say, oh, wait a minute. I'm not more holy when I walk into this place than when I'm at work, when I'm at school, when I'm at home, when I'm in a conversation with a neighbor. This is just an equally holy place because I am sacred. God has come to place that within me. And this is what Jesus wanted all of us to know because in one of his early conversations with his disciples or his uh, followers in the early days, he was actually in a city in northern Israel of Caesarea Philippi. And what's ironic is there were all these temples there and in the shadow of these temples, Jesus begins having a conversation with his earliest followers. And he said, who do people say that I am? And one of his most famous followers who was really close to Jesus, Peter said, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. 
And Jesus stepped back and said, God revealed that to you. And then God, for the very first time, Jesus predicted the brand new church. And if you got your Bibles, I want you to see it. It's in Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, I would ask you just to take that pew Bible and look at it with me. It's page 798. And you can see this verse for yourself because I want you to see where Jesus began to replace sacred places with sacred people. And for the very first time, Jesus goes and predicts this church, this thing that you and I gather in here today. In Matthew chapter 16, if you've got your Bibles, look with me at verse 18. I really want you to see this today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus looks at Peter, who's just predicted that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and he says, Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, say this last word with me. Say it with me. Church. This word has become one of the most controversial words in the English Bible. In the original language, it meant ecclesia, which is simply a gathering of people. Jesus says, we are a church, he and his disciples, and I'm going to build this gathering of people. You are the ecclesia, and I'm gonna build the gathering. It's not about places yet. I see all the temples. There's 13 different temples here in Caesarea Philippi. I'm not talking about that. And they're like, oh, this is great. Do we go and build a temple? He goes, nope, this isn't gonna be about a temple. This is gonna be about a gathering of people. Here's what's interesting. In 1500, the early 1500s, William Tyndale translated the very first English Bible and in that English Bible, he translated that word ecclesia with the word congregation because he knew it was about a gathering of people. It is you all here today are, William Tyndale knew, are the ecclesia. You are the church. However, William Tyndale was considered so controversial, he ended up being burned at the stake and became a martyr. And guess what every other translator did from then on? They never used that word again. And instead, they used a German word, church, which means house of God. And all of a sudden, just like that, we were back to the temple model, where place got emphasized over people. And it's why when you and I think of the word church, we think of a building. But when Jesus says, no, no, no. I have come to build a gathering of people, sacred people over sacred places. To end the temple model once and for all, Jesus first began by replacing the places with people. And then he wasn't done. He also, remember we also said it's not only sacred places, but it's also sacred laws. Jesus then replaced the sacred laws with a sacred love. And I am so glad that he did, because when Jesus showed up, there were over 600 laws that these religious leaders were trying to teach and enforce. And you know what Jesus said? You guys aren't even living by these laws yourself. 
You're focused on the rules. We're being hypocritical. We're being judgmental. Does it sound familiar? And 2,000 years later, we're right back there again because there is a tendency in all of us to go back to the temple model and to be about a place with laws, a place with laws. I want to attend and learn. Sacred places, sacred laws. This is our tendency. It's so much easier because it allows us to compartmentalize our lives. It allows us to segment the faith versus the real life that I live throughout the rest of the week. And Jesus came to introduce a brand new way. He said, no, it's not about the sacred laws. He said, it's about a sacred love. And that's where we get back to it again. He said, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said to love God. And then he said to love others. And then he said to love your enemy. And with all these laws that Jesus walked into, he gives us John chapter 13, verse 34, where he says, a new command I give you. I see all that, we're starting over, this is something brand new. And he says, to love one another. How, what's the bar? As I have loved you, that's pretty sacrificial, isn't it? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I can't help but think if I would have been one of those early followers of Jesus when I'm so used to the temple model and trying to, you know, what kind of fast, how often do we fast, what are the rules, how, how, do, how do we wear our clothes, how do we, uh, you know, we have over 600 laws with Sabbath and how, what we can do and what we can't do, all these things of food and how we eat and when we eat, like how do we prepare the food on certain days, like all these laws that I'm trying to keep up with and Jesus shows up and says, I just want you to love God, I want you to love others, and I want you to love your enemies, that I would have said, you know, I think I'll take the laws, right? Because that's messy. That's hard to say, I'm going to love. I'm not just going to love on Sundays when I'm at church. I'm going to love it Monday when I'm at work. Tuesday night, whenever I'm at, you know, with the neighbors, whenever I'm out on Friday night, I am loving. That's what I'm going to be known. That's going to be my new ethic. Is it's going to take over all of my life to love God and love one another and to love my enemies, to have an expanding love for my enemies. He not only taught us how to love, he taught us who to love, and he wanted us to replace the temple model. No more sacred places and sacred laws, no more attend and learn. Now he's saying it's about people and loving them. So Jesus shocks the world, and then just before he left, he says, now I want to give you a new purpose. And at the end, Jesus introduced a brand new mission in two words, to make disciples. You see, up until now, I mean, the opportunity was, well, I'm just going to live for myself. I don't know what you would say your purpose is, but I think if you were to do a poll amongst your peers, you would say, well, I'm going to live for money. I'm going to live for fame. I'm going to live for power. I'm going to live for trying to have a perfect family. I'm just trying to acquire some stuff. I'm just trying to, to do some things that matter. I just want to make an impact in some way. And Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You're a sacred people made in my image, and I gave my life for you. And here is your purpose. It's like, wait a minute, I, I, I want to choose my purpose. Oh, you get to choose how you do it, but here's your purpose. Your purpose, my purpose, if we choose to follow Jesus, is to make disciples. And so this is where we get uh, Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. In fact, this is how this church was originally founded, was upon this whole idea. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. 
Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. So that's what we're supposed to do. So the very first question is, what does a disciple mean? What, what does it mean? How do I know if I'm making a disciple? And Jesus knew we would ask that question. And so he breaks it down for us and gives us two categories. He goes, number one, you will baptize them. If people aren't getting baptized, you're not making disciples. If you're not part of the process of people coming to know Jesus, then we are not making disciples. We around here saying, share Jesus. That's part of making a disciple. And then he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us the other side of the discipleship coin. And he says, and then teach them to obey. We're not teaching them just so that they know. We're teaching them so they will be transformed. And they will obey everything I have commanded you. And then here's the co-part of the commission. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, right here we see baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Two parts of discipleship. And the way we say it here is our mission, our focus, our heartbeat is simply this. We want to share Jesus and build believers. We want to see people baptized, and we want to see people grow in their faith. We don't want to just make or create believers. We want to build believers. We want people to grow in their faith, to share Jesus and build believers. It is the one thing that we know God has called us to do. And here's the question. We'll talk about sharing Jesus next week. But today I want to ask you a question. How do you know if you're building a believer? How do you know if you're even taking that step? And if you grew up in church like I did, often in our world, we value building believers through the lens of the temple model approach. And so here's what we would say. Well, here's how you know you're building believers, growing in your faith, becoming spiritually mature. Here's how we know. It's if your attendance is good. Did you show up on Sunday? Are you showing up some Sundays or most Sundays? Are you behaving better, and is your theology growing? In other words, the way that we would measure building believers is, are you attending and are you learning? It's the way, it's sort of innate. We can't help but always go back to that's how we're measuring spiritual growth. But Jesus introduced a new ethic, didn't he? Jesus says, if you want to know if you're growing as a believer, you can't just punch the clock on Sunday, right? He said instead, if you really want to know if you're growing as a follower of Jesus, you will be loving God and growing in your love of him. You'll be demonstrating greater love for others, and you're expanding your capacity to love your enemies, people who aren't like you, who don't like you, and you're expanding your ability to love them. And guess where you can't just do that here on a Sunday morning? This impacts all of our week, doesn't it? It impacts all of our life. And Jesus is introducing a brand new reference point for faith and how we measure whether or not our faith is growing through love. Remember what he said in John 13? He said, a new command I give you, that you love one another. It's a brand new deal. In fact, in a later passage, he would say, this is how you will know if people are following me by how much they know, by how much they attend. No, by how much they love. It's a new reference point Jesus was introducing for spiritual growth. And this is the way I like to say it. Our devotion for God is demonstrated by our love for others. This vertical relationship with God impacts my horizontal relationships. And until it is, that vertical relationship isn't where I really think it ought to be. So here's a, here's a thought. Imagine if every Christian, every Christian here at LifePoint, every Christian in Collin County, imagine if every Christian engaged people instead of just attending 
church services? What if we decided, you know what, it's not enough for me just to kind of check the box and attend and learn, but it's about loving people in demonstrated ways, in deeper ways, in visible ways. And what's the best way to do that? How is it that we can actually engage with other people on a regular basis? And I believe one of the ways is you can't do that in a room like this. You can't practice the one another's, loving one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another in a room like this. You just can't. We have to be in smaller groups where we can actually do life together, get to know one another, be irritated by one another, right? Find out the weirdness of one another, overlook it for one another, and ultimately to love one another in a smaller group. Now, let me just say, it is not the easiest way. The temple model is a lot easier, isn't it? It's a lot cleaner. I just kind of show up and then I get back to what I like to do. But this is costly. The way of Jesus in loving people is costly. And we must do it. We must do it. So if you're new, I just want you to know one of the greatest values we have as a church is getting people to participate in life groups or small groups or home groups or whatever you want to call it, but in smaller groups of people. Here's why. I believe, and I mean this, circles are better than rows. Small circles are better than big rows. I want you to hear, it's no fun to preach to empty pews, I'm gonna be honest with you. But you gotta get in a row, and then you gotta move to a circle. You gotta get in a group of people where you're actually loving and you're being loved, or we're never gonna get to the place where God has called us to be. I wanna invite you to consider that today. You say, well, what is a life group? A life group normally meets on Sundays at 9 a.m. We have a lot that meet in the houses. There are a lot of other options. We have childcare provided. It's a place where you can build friends and encourage other people, and you can be encouraged. And I want to invite you to take this step, and here's why. You can come every weekend, and I hope you do. We want to do everything we can to encourage you and your kids and your students and your faith. But at the end of the day, consumption of content cannot substitute for community. If it could, with all our podcasts and all our books and all our blogs, we would be brilliant and have amazing marriages and have amazing kids and have an amazing walk with God. But the truth is consumption content cannot substitute for community. Jesus said, you must love. You know how you learn to love? By practicing it and by exercising it and being engaged with people, being engaged with people. I want to invite you to personally take this step. But before you decide, I want you to watch this video with Michaela. We call her Mike. Check this out. Two and a half weeks ago, my son and I were headed out to Arizona to go visit my parents um, to also judge a trampoline and tumbling competition. And on our way to Albuquerque, about 15 miles south of Childress, my car caught on fire, and within minutes, the car was gone. So while I was dealing with the police officers and the firefighters that were out there, and on the phone with my insurance company, um, someone had posted that they needed a prayer, and then there was a praise. We have a group meet for our small groups. And um, I just posted, well, this is my life right now. 
plans with my insurance company before I finished up plans with what were we going to do with the vehicle and getting it towed. I already had two people offer to come get me and I already had an offer on a vehicle to borrow for as long as I needed to borrow. In that immediate moment of trying to stay in control, trying not to panic, trying not to feel overwhelmed, I immediately had 15 plus women praying for me. So I was not alone. And I had a group of women that were already doing things behind the scenes to be there for me without me even realizing it. And knowing that I had two people willing to drive four and a half hours to go get me and my son on a weeknight and then drive us back, there are no words. I've been a part of a few different small groups since I've been a member here. And sometimes you don't know that you need a small group until you need a small group. And sometimes you don't need that know that you need certain people in your life at a certain time because whether you're the one that's going to be there for them or they're the ones that are going to be there for you. If you feel like there's something missing in your walk, find a small group to join with you because that's usually the missing puzzle piece. Isn't that just a great story that some of you created? I just want to say this. That is irresistible. When people step up in love at the last minute when there's a great need and we say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing this because I attend church with you, but we know each other. We're doing life with each other. And I just want to, I want to, I want to invite you to consider getting in a group. Somebody may need you or you may need someone else, but it's an opportunity to demonstrate love. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I tried that once, and I had a bad experience. And I don't doubt that. I just want to say to you, I bet you you've had bad barbecue, but I bet you still eat barbecue, because it's worth it. I bet you've had a bad doctor visit, but I bet you still go because it's so important. And in the same way, I think this is worth it and so important and push past it and let's give it a shot because I believe that's what Jesus wants us to be doing life together so that we can learn to love each other in new ways. We don't just learn together, but we love each other. So why do we believe so deeply in groups? Because our devotion to God is demonstrated by our love for others. So here's what I want you to do. I wanna ask you to just play along and pull your phones out right now. now. This is an all skate, so everybody just play along and pull your phone out right now. And I wanna ask you to do something. You're not gonna sign up for anything, so don't worry about that. We're not, we're not that clever, but I do wanna ask you to pull your phone out. And what I want you to do is just scan that QR code in front of you. And when you click on the QR code, you're going to, you're gonna click that link and you're gonna have an opportunity to see all the groups that are available. So if you'll do that right now, pull your phone out, click on that, and then here's the screen you'll see whenever you click on that link through that QR code. You'll see the options, and there's life groups and women's groups and care groups. There's a lot of different kinds of groups that you can click on. And when you get to that screen, would you do me a favor, and would you just click on the life groups? And when you click on those life groups, 
you're going to see these options for groups. There's a men's group, a, a couple's group that's more experienced. That was a, the word that we came up with, okay? Women's group, singles group. Uh, we have uh, some, some younger couples group, a young adults group. And there's some other groups, I'm going to be honest with you. If you have any trouble with the technology or if you just have questions about groups, if you'll just go out in the lobby afterwards up to the Welcome Center, uh, we'll be out there and we'd just love to help you answer those questions and to get you connected. But we just believe it's that important. I just want to say, as Jesus launched the church, the early church was launched. Jesus did this one thing that drove the religious people nuts. And I think we ought to start doing this one thing. And it's going to drive those of us who are religious nuts. And what's that one thing? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So I hope you'll come for part two of Brand New. And now I just want to ask you to imagine. Imagine if like the early church, we became known for how well we loved above everything else. And maybe the criticism would be, you know, they're a little bit too devoted to Jesus, but man, did they love well. And when people drive by, they say, you know, I don't necessarily believe what those people believe, but we need them in this community because of how well they love. I don't believe what they believe, but I would love for them to marry my kids. I would love for them to hire me or me work for them or them work for me. I'd love to have those people in my neighborhood because of how well they love. Now that would be something brand new. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the people who are here today. I believe the legacy of this church is that we hold to the mission closely, but to the methods loosely. And with all the changes that you have for us in the future, your mission will never change. So God, I pray that we find freedom and purpose in you and we don't settle for the temple model of just attending and learning, but instead, God, would you grow in every person in this room? Would you grow more love in us for you? God, give us more love for the people around us. And Lord, would you even give us love for the people who have hurt us? God, grow your love in us and let us demonstrate our devotion to you. But Father, we know in order for that to happen, we need you. We need you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.